I'm going through the book of Ephesians on Sunday morning here. We're going through it uh, pretty much verse by verse. And it is just as I'm reading it and absorbing it again, I'm just thinking of how there's so many and much spiritual riches that are there for us. But then thinking of, of my own life and I think, am I so willing to settle? Settle just for temporary riches. You know, a, a house, a couple cars, a two-week vacation, the hope of a pension someday. When a deeper relationship with God is just there beckoning. We've already seen how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have deposited, as it were, spiritual blessings in our heavenly bank account. But we need to access them sometimes, too. So how do we do that? That's what I want to talk about today with you. If you've ever gotten a new ATM card, you have to choose a new PIN number. Well, I can never remember the new PIN numbers or passwords. I can only remember the old ones. So if you've ever been there standing there trying to punch in the number, a line is forming behind you because you can't remember this new PIN number. And there's an unwritten rule that you have 15 seconds. If you haven't figured it out in 15 seconds, just admit you're a dunce and just walk away. Well, immediately after telling them of the spiritual blessings in Christ, verses 1 through 14, Paul prays for them. And I thought, that's strange. This is a letter to these Christians and probably some surrounding Christians. Why would he insert a prayer right in the middle of what he's sharing that are the spiritual blessings? Well, obviously he did that because he believed that that prayer was very important for them receiving those spiritual blessings. And prayer is a key to almost all of the spiritual life growing in prayer. It's think of it as your pin number. Prayer is a way to connect with God and open your your spiritual riches that are there in your spiritual bank accounts, as it were. These blessings that are in heavenly places. That's why I keep using that term. Most of my prayers are for health, finances and family. And that's not wrong. Of course, we can pray for anything, but Paul's prayers are different. Wherever you see him praying in the letters he wrote, they're for churches and they're for those churches, spiritual growth. I think his prayers give us an insight on how we can pray for ourselves and others. So let's read Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. He says, for this reason. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Just like verses 3 through 14. Remember, I said that was originally one long sentence in the Greek. So is this. 169 words in the original. Paul gets so excited, he just runs on and on and on. He says, and this and this, I want to pray this for you. He's thankful for them. He says, I, I don't cease giving thanks for you. What is Paul thankful for? For a church, for Christians, for a gathering of believers. And I realized this morning, I am so thankful for you from the bottom of my heart. I want to see you grow in Christ. He's thankful for their faith and love. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is a vertical relationship. And your love toward all the saints is a horizontal relationship. Do you see that? Relationships are so important. And that's an insight into having our prayers answered. It's to be in right relationship with, with God, our Father, and with each other. An example of that is 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So we see there, if I'm out of sorts in my relationship with my spouse, my prayers can be hindered. So good relationships help prayer. Paul says, I do not cease Thanking and praying for you. That means he's doing that continually. And this is an insight into prayer. My prayers, perhaps yours as well, can get lazy. I can pray a two-second prayer for something and then be done with it forever. And Paul didn't think that way. He says, I'm continually praying for you. In, in Matthew 7, 7, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Do you, you see the levels of intensity there? Each one gets more intense in prayer. I ask God, just like I was asking the whereabouts of somebody. Then you seek. You, you go looking in, in a neighborhood and you're looking all over the place and then knock on every door looking. Each one more intense. It means I don't give up in prayer. There's another story that Jesus told uh, of a woman who came to a judge begging for justice. And Jesus likened that to prayer, how we should pray, not giving up. God wants to see if we're serious about this thing. Do we really want what we're praying for or is it a passing fad? Do we want it today, but tomorrow we may not? Prayer is our ongoing relationship with our father. We're the branch. He's the vine or the tree trunk. You might say we're connected there. Stay connected. Keep praying. Don't give up. That's an insight into receiving. So now we need to know who do we pray to? Paul tells us, makes it very clear in verse 17 to God. The God of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Father God, Abba, Daddy, the one who provides for us. Jesus taught his disciples to pray to the Father in my name. What should we pray for? All right. Paul gives three things here that he prays for the Ephesian Christians. He prays that they would know something. And all three of those requests have to do with spiritual formation, not health. Not money, 
And the greatest joy for me is seeing you grow in your faith, to see you developing spiritually. And probably the greatest sorrow is seeing folks that choose not to. Let's look at those three. The first one is Paul prays that they would know Christ better. I mean, that's a good prayer for yourself and for your family, your friends, our church, that we would know Christ better, know his ways more clearly. Peter says this in Second Peter 1, 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. I want you to think back when you were a new Christian. Well, I can remember that. I I was so excited to get into God's word. Before, I didn't like to read, but man, I couldn't put the Bible down. I wanted to read, and I realized that I wanted to be with other Christians. I was enjoying worshiping. Before, I never liked to sing, but I loved to worship, fellowship. I was growing in service. I was growing in the knowledge of Christ through reading his word. That word know that Paul uses there is a Greek word, epigonosko. And it doesn't mean intellectual knowledge. It doesn't mean reciting facts. It doesn't mean memorizing uh, doctrine. It means it's an experiential knowing. It's an intimate kind of knowing, that word. It's a husband and wife kind of knowing. Like if I said to you, I know the governor. I know Governor Yunkin. Wouldn't you presume that I knew him personally, that I didn't just know facts about him that I read on Wikipedia, right? If I said I know the governor and it was just what I read on Wikipedia, that would be silly to say that because I would be misleading you. So that's the kind of knowing Paul is trying to get across here. Not that we know facts and information about God, that we know doctrines and creeds, but we know Christ personally. We have a personal relationship with him. That's what he wants for the Ephesian Christians. That's what he wants for us. And the knowledge of God isn't some hidden thing. God hasn't hidden himself away from us. He's made himself known and evident in Romans chapter one. God says, clearly, my creation shows who I am if people will see. But, of course, some will try to suppress that knowledge and deny it. And then Paul says there in Romans 1 that their minds become darkened, that they don't know God. They become more stupid and more foolish as a result. They devolve. They devolve spiritually, morally, intellectually. But Paul wants the Ephesian Christians to keep growing in the knowledge of Christ. And to know Christ personally The Bible calls that justification or salvation. That's my initial introduction to God when I'm born again. To know Christ increasingly, the Bible calls that sanctification, where I'm growing daily in my knowledge of God because I'm spending time with him. I'm in the word. I'm in prayer. I'm fellowshipping with other believers. And then to know Christ perfectly The Bible calls that glorification. That's where I know him. I see him face to face someday in heaven. I know even as I am known that we can pray for our fellow Christians, ourselves and our family members, that they would know Christ more and more. And because God wants us to know Christ more and more, uh, and I think it was verse 18, where 
Paul prays that we would be given the spirit, capital S there. So God gives us the spirit that we'll be able to pray and know Christ better and better. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? First Corinthians two, nine to 16. Let's look at this passage. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us. How? Through the spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. No, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person or the unsaved person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, you, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. These passages and many others say that we have the Holy Spirit who will help us Know the things that have been freely given to us by God and to help us pray. Romans 6, 8, 26. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So what do we see here? The Holy Spirit instructs us in the things of God, gives us insights into God that we would not know otherwise. So we can pray, Holy Spirit, you're in me. Give me understanding into what all God has provided for me. And then pray and then listen. Listen to see if the Spirit would speak something to you. A word like Rita said this morning, rejoice. The Spirit was whispering that to her. He'll give you a word. Maybe you're in the Bible. You're reading along in the Bible and a word comes out to you. That's the Holy Spirit nudging you. That That's what I want you to focus on today. We pray to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me to receive all that God has for me. We can pray and continue to focus merely and only on our outward stuff. Or we can expand our prayer lives and pray more for inward stuff. God will take care of the outward stuff. Let's focus on the inward stuff. Matthew six thirty three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. Here's the second thing. Paul prays that they would know. Know the hope of your calling. He says that you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened. Now, that's just kind of a strange phrase. Eyes of your heart now, when's the last time you had an eye exam? Maybe it's been a while. And when you go, you find out you, you need your prescription filled or updated or you need bifocals now. And that's never fun. We can see life out of our spiritual eyes or out of just merely our natural eyes. 
Let me give you an example of spiritual eyes opened. It's in 2 Kings 6. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. He saw that with his natural eyes. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? We're in trouble. We're surrounded by the enemy. He said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. We would say, how is that possible? Then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he might see. Weren't his eyes open to see all the enemy horsemen all around? So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold. The mountain was full of the horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That's opening our spiritual eyes beyond what our natural eyes can see our circumstances. And this man saw the invisible reality that was all around and probably all around, maybe all the time. But we just never see it. Second Corinthians 418 As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient or temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. That's what we need to see more of. God, open the eyes of his servant of Elisha and he will open your eyes and my eyes to see new insights into the word that will lead us to think differently. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Showing us all that God has for us in Christ. That he would open the eyes of your heart. Heart is an important biblical word. It doesn't mean our physical heart. It's rarely if ever used that way in the Bible. It means the seat of our emotions, our mind and our will. That's your heart. God wants you to think biblically. He wants you to make good decisions based on the Bible. Jesus said this in Matthew 13, 13. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. These these people were seeing the miracles all around them that Jesus was doing, but they weren't seeing him. They didn't have spiritual vision or spiritual eyesight. We need spiritual vision to know the hope to which he called you hope. For most of us means wish. I hope my favorite team wins on Saturday or Sunday. I I wish they'd win. I'm not sure that they're going to win, but I hope they win. I hope I win the lottery. It's a wish. But hope biblically means a solid foundation in the promises of God. My hope is placed on nothing less than Christ and his righteousness. It's solid. Do you have hope? The hope of your calling. That word calling refers to either your salvation or your service. That's how calling is used in the New Testament. God wants you to know that you're saved. He wants you to know that. Read 1 John again. I think it's seven places in 1 John where John uses the phrase that you know you're saved. You also can be sure that you have a ministry. God has gifted each and every one of us with some spiritual gift to use for him. He has a plan for your life. So you pray, God, let me realize my calling. 
what you've called me to, to a relationship with you, first and foremost, but then to gifts that you want me to use for you. So nominating committee is going to be starting up. They may give you a call. We need hope as Christians in this world, don't we? It just seems like it's so dark and getting worse and worse. But God is going to intervene. He's going to reset this world. You know, there's conversation right now from the World Economic Forum. You may want to look them up. A group of intellectuals that are influencers of different world governments. Their, their vision for the future is a socialistic one world government. But God's going to do a great reset when he comes again. And we're going to be a part of that because we're his inheritance. Romans fifteen thirteen says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I like that. That should be the Christian. Not that we never have a problem, not that we're always smiling, but we're abounding. We're overcoming because God will turn the bad into good in your life. So we can pray that we would know the hope of his calling. And here's the third thing that Paul mentions as he prays for these Ephesian Christians, that they would know his power. Tells us that in verse 19. And this is where it gets really good. I feel like Paul is so excited here. He just strings together every word he knows for power. He uses the phrase immeasurable greatness. But in the Greek, that was originally three words. Hyper, mega, and dunamis. Isn't that fun? Sounds like a power drink. Hyper, mega, dynamite drink. It's explosive power. He also uses the phrase working of his great might. That means overcoming resistance power or strong muscle power. And you have that available to you. You think you're weak this morning. You think, how am I going to make it in this life? I'm such a weak Christian. You're stronger than you realize. Paul wants him to know the power source. He tells him in verse 20, Christ's resurrection. Resurrection power. Ascension power. Ruling power. Second coming power. Jesus of Revelation 1 power. I looked at that again recently, and I think, what an interesting passage. Jesus sees the vision of the glorified Christ and nearly falls over dead just seeing him. And you know what? That same power is in you. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. I believe that God's resurrection power was the greatest power display in human history. Greater than the creation of the universe. Greater than the parting of the Red Sea. Greater even than the virgin birth where God became man. Because on the cross. Jesus bore all the sins of the world from the beginning of time to the end. And all the forces of hell were poised against him at that moment. And even the father temporarily, momentarily turned away from him. But resurrection power 
overcame all that resistance. And Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God. And then Christ ascended to heaven where God seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. He seated him. To sit means authority. You're on the throne. The work's completed. It's done. You're at rest. No angel can sit there. Only Christ. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that can be named. Every spiritual being, good or evil, he's greater than he's over them. He's ruling over them. And you know what? We're seated there, too. Ephesians 2, 6 and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In that place of spiritual confrontation, that's where we're seated with him, overcoming Resurrection power. Is there something in your life today that needs resurrection power because something's dead in your life? Marriage, health, uh, career, walk. Give it over to God and let God's resurrection power raise that thing up so that you soar over it. God wants you to rule over all the enemies that want to bind you and hold you down. I remember a scene in one of the James Bond movies. He's on this little tiny island. And it's a crocodile infested pond and the bad guys left him out there to die. He sees the crocodiles and this pond was full of them and he jumps out and he runs on the backs of the crocodiles. Anyone remember that scene? I don't know. You probably don't. But I thought that is so cool. And he was walking on his problems. He was above all his problems. Those crocodiles were going to eat him, but he soared above them. And that's what God wants you to do. In whatever problems you're dealing with right now in your life, he wants to give you the power to overcome them, to triumph over them. And then Paul concludes the last two verses by saying where that power resides. And I think it's going to surprise you. And it's our last fill in the church. Christians are his body. We're his arms and feet. He's the head. So he tells the body what to do. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It doesn't seem like it. I know when we look at the church pretty weak and feeble sometimes. But there is no plan B. God is going to and is determined to manifest himself and his power through his church. And that's why I'm such a firm believer that there is going to be a second great awakening or a third great awakening, rather a revival. And that's what I'm praying for. That's going to sweep this land. And God is going to manifest himself in a great way, saving many people through his church. Lord, thank you for the spiritual riches that are ours in Christ. And we can access them through prayer. Lord, I pray that we would be all the hungrier to know and develop and deepen our relationship with you as we're in the word and we're praying to you and talking to you every day. Thank you, Father, for revealing these things to us and giving us your Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is ministering to us. Lord, we give you praise and glory and honor today in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand. And as that church this morning, as one body, let's sing this song and make this declaration of what we believe.